I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah 31. And we've been looking at this, this concept of pursuing God. And I've entitled this, In Pursuit of the God Who is Pursuing You. Because the Bible is emphatically clear. One of the things that makes Christianity unique is the very fact that we do not initiate this. God initiates it. So all the time you think that you're pursuing, that, that, you, that you have a pursuit for God, God has been pursuing you way before you began to pursue Him. It's not because you first loved Him. It's because He first loved you. That's the Scripture. And I'm, I'm just going to ask you, what if, what if our passion for God could be revived to such an extent that we could find our deepest enjoyment in God. In other words, the de our deepest aspirations, our deepest joys would be the anticipation of God in our life. The anticipation of God. Um, we're going to look at the life of a young man who was about 17 year old. He was a teenager when God began to call him. We'll look at him in just a second. But I remember when I was 17, 16 particularly. Matter of fact, I couldn't wait till 15 and 8 months. 15 and 8 months meant that you could get your learner's permit, I believe it was. Your, is that right? Is it still that, 15 and 8 months? Uh, it's not. I think they ought to raise it to, I don't know, 25 or 30 now. But... Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. All you people are like, yeah, all right. <laughs> well, change churches. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, 15, 8 months, you get your driver's license. And, you know, we went through the classes and all, all the neat things to anticipate learning driving. I, 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 just, I just couldn't wait. I, and I said, I can't wait till the day when. Do you ever say that? I found out that I said it then. I can't wait till the day when. I get my driver's license, and you know, and, and my dad was really happy about the fact, and he helped me get a car, and, and I secured a loan. My first car payment was $67 a month. That's big money. I realized that there was a price to pay for what you were committed to, and it was a good lesson to learn, but I couldn't wait till I got that, and I got I, the first car that I got was a Chevelle Lagoon. You talk about cool. I mean, it was old, but it was cool. And I, I liked that car. I mean, it was a, a two-tone. It was a gray and had burgundy. It had a two-tone gray and burgundy. And, um, I, and I brought it home, and we got it. And I'm like, you know, I waxed that thing. I, I, I cleaned the windows in it. I wouldn't let anybody touch it. Um, and I, I, remember, I remember conditioning the seats, the, those pure, 100% pure Naugahyde seats, okay? And I, I, I mean, they were slick, man. And uh, they were, they were, they were, they were burgundy. They matched that burgundy two-tone. The, I'm telling you, it was a good-looking car. I couldn't wait to drive it. And I remember driving it one night in, as, as I was going through town. And I, just, I was just turning a curve. And I remember I said, oh, something's happening. And my, my bottom end began to slide. Because my 100% pure Naugahyde seats 
were really slick. I couldn't wait till I drove. And, you know, and I remember, I'm thinking about this. You know, I go through life like this. How about you? I can't wait till the next thing. Matter of fact, some of you are thinking, I can't wait till this thing's over and we go get lunch. No, you're not saying that. But your your kids might be, you know. You know, somebody's saying it. Because there's some, I can't wait till this evening because there's a big event happening this evening, right? Maybe. You know, maybe I can't wait till, you know, I, I, and I see it, I saw it in my kids when they, you know, you, you see it in your kids. You know, I think about, you know, watching little youngins, your kids grow up, little girls, they, they always play dress up. And, and usually there's a, there's a, there's a pretend wedding. You know, think about, you know, you think about the, the, these girls have years and years to prepare for weddings, Right. Why? Because it begins early, and I can't wait till the day when. And and they begin to think about that day when they walk down the aisle, and and that that moment. I can't wait till I graduate college, or I can't wait till I graduate high school. And I just can't wait till I graduate high school, and I'm out on my own, and I'm 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 out on my own, and I can't wait until I'm out of the house. Yeah. I can't wait till I can't wait till I, I graduate high school. I can't wait till I graduate college. Because because after college, you know, is I I can't I get to go to start my career. I can't wait to get in my career because I want to be a you fill in the blank. I can't wait till I can't I, I can't wait. We live our lives on an I can't wait basis. And then you get to working and you're like, oh, brother, I can't wait till. Where's Jeff at? Jeff is retiring. Where's Jeff at? Oh, there you are. You're sitting back at the table. Okay. Um, can't wait to retirement. Because what do you do after retirement? I don't know. Jeff will have to tell us. Right? But. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I, 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 I can't wait till after retirement. Then I kind of get my time back and I get some things I want to do back. And there's a lot of things that we miss in the I can't wait time. There was a lot of things that I missed in the I can't wait time. You know, I can't wait till the deadline to reach this deadline to, to, to do this because... In reaching that deadline meant that my kids were growing up, and so I missed some things in the I can't wait time. Anybody here? I can't wait till, and you miss the I can't wait times, and you look around, and you blink, and your kids are grown up, and you were living in the I can't wait time. That's the danger of the I can't wait time. The I can't wait time, the danger of the I can't wait time is it's always out there. It's never graspable. You, you never fully grasp it. And when you do, you realize that, that yeah, it was, a, it was a great milestone. Yes, one you needed. And yes, it's, it's a good thing. But it, it didn't hold the depth of the satisfaction that you thought it would bring. It, it just doesn't. Because it's in the I can't wait time. And we have a tendency just to live for the I can't wait time. And, and we, have, we have those in smaller increments. And we have those in larger increments of time. But the, there's a real danger in it. You see, some, sometimes it's I can't wait till my life changes. I can't wait till the, my situation changes. 
I can't wait till I find that special somebody to spend my life with. And so you live in the I can't wait time and, and, and struggling in the I can't wait time and having desires and longings and yearning in the I can't wait time. And the danger in the I can't wait time is you miss what's happening in the moment of time. That's the danger. So you, I can't wait. I can't wait till I, I'm in that relationship. I can't wait till I'm, I'm, I've, I've, I'm settled into my new house or my new car. I can't wait till I'm settled into my life. I can't wait. I can't wait till my life changes and I regain my health. There's, there's a real, there's a real danger that we miss the moment in the I can't wait time. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to simply, simply ask, what if we begin to reorient the way we think about this? Because this is fundamentally how we are conditioned to think about life. At least I am. I can't wait till, and I, I fill in that blank. But what would happen if we reoriented our way of thinking? All of these things that I just mentioned are not bad, are they? They're actually good things. But what if I begin to reorient the way I think about it and the way I approach it and approach my life and begin to fashion my life in this way? Lord, I can't wait to see you in this day. Well, we thought, wait, wait a minute, what a day it will be. Yep, when my Jesus I will see. Most people think that the Christian life is about that. Seeing Jesus in that day. And I want to see him in that day. And I will see him in that day. And that's a, that's a longing of my heart and the longing of my soul. But how about, Lord, I can't wait to see you in this day. What would happen? What if that began the focus of our life, that we began to look for God in, in these aspirations and these yearnings and these desires and these longings and, and allow Him to begin to focus? See, I love that scripture in the Old Testament talked about Enoch. We don't talk about Enoch a lot. There's not been much written with him, but we know that he, he had a real relationship with God. So much so that he walked daily with him that the Bible just says that he didn't die. He just said he was not. It's kind of like he, he walked on the, on the edge of the prefaces of eternity, and he just kind of, I mean, he just, he just went from time into eternity with God. He walked with God. That's kind of cool. In other words, there was, an, there was a sense of God's presence in every moment of his life. That's cool. That's one of the things I believe that it means what it means to pursue God. Is that is that he he becomes the we begin to we don't miss him in the moment, waiting for the big event in our life. You know? We we don't we we, we don't miss him in that moment. So what if what if that could change in our life? We're gonna look at how that can and how God takes the initiative in this for, the, for our lives. Now I want you to think of Jeremiah. This was a young man. He was probably 17 or so. And what, are the, what do you know about Jeremiah? I mean, this is an Old Testament book. And he was, he was known to be a prophet. He was a prophet um, who, who, who gave his... And these prophets were like this. These were the guys 
who would, would I mean, they would really tell the truth to, to a point that it was painful at times. I mean, it was so truth, everybody knew the truth, and they would just say it. And people didn't, you know, didn't, they didn't gain a whole lot of friends being that way. Um, they also knew the future because they had a direct, they had some light, they, had, they were messengers of God. Jeremiah got this calling to, to, to be this, this prophet, probably at the age of 17 or so, about the time you begin to think about what you're going to do with your life. And, and you know, he, he was a real sensitive, kind of introspective kind of guy. Uh, he was, he, he was, didn't have a lot of confidence not a lot of self-confidence. It's like, Lord, I can't, I can't go out and do this. I can't give those messages. And anyhow, you know how sensitive I am. You know the weaknesses I have. And I, I, I can't. He couldn't, he couldn't envision his life doing this. Okay? And, and basically, he did it for a long, long time. I mean, about 40 years. Now, get this. When God called him, this was on the downside of the divided kingdom between Israel and Judah. And he, he, was, he was to be a prophet during, uh, you know, uh, during this time. I mean, it was, they, were, they were already on a downhill, on a downhill slide. And it was going fast. And he knew it. Everybody knew it. And there were fears of, of threats from the Assyrians, northern kingdoms, and so forth. And then he comes along and God says, okay, I, I am, I've got a message for you. And uh, he says, okay, Lord, how many followers will I have on my Twitter account? Uh, nah, probably just a handful. Uh, well... How about, will, I, will there be any subscribers to my channel? Eh. How about, will anybody read my blog? Well, they might, but they won't like it. Well, will I have any friends on Facebook? No, probably not. Can I get married? No. Nah. That's not in it for you either, buddy. And you want me to give this message, well, then will I see results? Nah, I'm sorry about that, too. You're, you're going to be in a line of work that you're going to have few friends. You won't even have a wife. And you're, uh, and you're going to be, be misunderstood for the most of the time, be rejected. And by the way, you're going to give a message. And when I bring judgment to the land that you're calling, you're going to go, in, you're going to go into captivity with them. No wonder he was called the weeping prophet. He was called the weeping prophet. Right? Now, from, I want to tell you something. From, from, you as a parent don't wish this life for your child, your child do you? Do you? Do we call that culturally successful? Do we? I mean, there is no inclination of success in a life and a calling like that. Nothing at all. And yet, 
This guy was quoted by Jesus. And we have the book, and listen, you know, get, you, know you get this, and I, I, like, I like songs and stuff as a songwriter. I, I have never had an, in, any inspiration in my life, and I've written a book or two, but I have never had any inspiration in my life to name a book, Lamentations. To lament. This, this is the weepy, cry guy that is introspective and, and it surely doesn't feel adequate enough, feels weak and feels intimidated and feels heartbroken most of the time. He is just crying most of the time. He probably wouldn't be a good candidate for most churches, the pastor. He tells the truth, though. Now, that's Jeremiah. But Jeremiah... Here's the deal. Here's what Jeremiah did have. I just told you everything he didn't. Jeremiah had an intimacy with God that it was like when God gave him the word, he said it was like, it was like meat. It was fire in his bones. It was something that he would chew on that was nourishment and sustainment to him. In other words, he drew from a different well. He, he had a different resource that he drew upon that sustained him through it. So, when you begin to, begin to look at Jeremiah, I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 31. And I want you to look at this. I can't wait till the day when, well, Jeremiah said it too. He said, the behold, the, and how did he know this? Because God gave him the message. He said, behold, the days are coming. Says Jeremiah, no, says the Lord. You need a says the Lord in your life. Do you hear me? When you get the, the says the Lord in your life, then you will find that you will begin to operate on a deeper level spiritually. Because you know it is based upon truth. You know that it has a foundation of truth. That it has God's stamp upon it. When you begin to operate in the into, says the Lord in your life, you'll find a new strength. You see, everything in the natural for Jeremiah was on it was on the downside. But I want to tell you, everything with God in Jeremiah's life was on the upswing. And though there may have been tears at night and tears of longing and tears of aspiration and tears that I wish things could change, I wish things could be different, Lord, you know this struggle. Jeremiah knew that behold, there is coming a day. Huh? Now we know that as believers. We sang about it. There's coming a day. There's coming a day and there is coming a day. But I'm in the now. What happens if you begin to see God in the now, in the moment? Behold, there's coming a day, says the Lord. And he says this. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out. I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke. Now, this is the covenant that God made with them in the wilderness on Mount Sinai and known as the Ten Commandments. He said, which they broke, though I was a husband. It's interesting he uses these words. 
He says, I was like their husband and they committed spiritual adultery by their idolatry. That's, the, that's all the implication here. He says, I was like a husband to them, says the Lord. One of the things that we find is in Jeremiah chapter 24, and if you go back there, God graciously initiates the inward heart work so that we can turn to God. This is something God does. And Jeremiah 24, 7 says this. He says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people. There's the covenant. They shall be my people and I will be their God. And God said, okay, here's the stipulations of the covenant. The stipulations of the covenant are these. There are ten commandments. The, and he, gave, he gives them the ten commandments. You can find them in Exodus 20. And the very first one is, is that you shall have no other gods before me. So Moses goes on Mount Sinai. God gives him the Ten Commandments. He's up there and he's lingering long. And they're getting restless down in the lowlands in the Sinai Peninsula. He comes down off the mount. And what does the first thing Moses see them doing? He sees them dancing around a golden calf. And he didn't say bless their hearts. Because there was an, indi there was an indignation that arose within him. Because he had just been with, a, with God in all of his glory. And, you know, Moses ends up throwing those things on, you know, those stone tablets on them. And... Yeah, it was, God was displeased. He said, so he recognized right off the bat when he comes off the mountain, there's something systematically, fundamentally wrong in the human heart. It is. There is. For everybody. For every age. There's something fundamentally gone awry when it comes to our relationship with God in the human heart. The New Testament said we're dead, we're dead in the trespasses and sins. But notice here, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant. I will be their God, and they shall return to me with their whole heart. He said, the longings, the desires, the aspirations, their dreams, they will return to me with all of their being. In other words, and this is a work that he says, that he's going to graciously initiate through his love, it's an inward heart work so that we can actually turn to God. Without it, we can't. And this is what God offers. So somebody says, well, I don't know if I have a heart for God. Well, you're here. you got a heart for something unless somebody made you be here. <laughs> and then you might not, you know. But by and large, it's, it's this, this is inward work of God's grace. Now, there's three things that, that are three aspects of this. He says, notice here, I will give them a heart, and they will have a heart to do what? To know. That's the first thing. They will have a heart to know. They will have a heart to know me. In other words, has somebody ever said to you that you, somebody casually, you know, well, you know so-and-so, and you say, well, yeah, I know them. I, I mean, you know them. You, you, in other words, you acknowledge that they're in the human race. And you recognize their name. 
But then somebody comes up to you, somebody that you know personally, intimately, that you know, do you know so-and-so? And you say, oh, yeah, do I know them? Yeah. Yeah. God says that he wants you to know him like that. You say, well, I do. And I've not been too pleased with what he's allowed into my life. I, I know God in, in that way. And, why, you know, if, if God loves me, then why is this, 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 and this? And, and it actually becomes a barrier for us to, to really have this wholehearted con- commitment to God because we really think in the back of our mind because we've, we, we've got this case against God in our mind. You know, God allowed this. He did this. And why did this happen when I was a kid? Why did, you know, and all these things become barriers. And we're not really convinced and committed. Uh, we can't be committed to a God that we're not even convinced that he, re- that he that yes, he may love, but he doesn't love me. It's really hard to commit to that. And so there's these barriers in our mind and in our thinking. But God says, the day's coming when they will know me. I'm going to do that work in their heart and make a new covenant with them that they will know me. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know God in that way? Do you know Him in an intimate, personal way to where you, you don't have Him at hands, at that kind of hands distance? Yeah, I, I kind of want to nibble around this thing with God, but I, I'm not sure I want to be all in. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I, I want to be all in in the die cast in my life, and my, my life stained with the reality of who He is. So a lot of times we just kind of play around at, at, at spiritual things. As spiritual longings and desires. Well, yeah, I know something's going on, and I'm just not sure about all this. We kind of get wishy-washy and gushy in our, in our thinking about God. I want, to, I want to give you a quote that's, that C.S. Lewis said, and I like this because it's true. I think it characterizes where we're at. He, when he talks about, about our, desire, our desires, he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires, desires not too strong. Listen to what he said. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and with sex and with ambition. And then he says, when infinite joy is offered to us, and like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies, and I like making mud pies, but he wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday or a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. He says we just kind of settle for. We just kind of we just kind of settle for half-hearted living, half-hearted commitments, half-hearted aspirations, half-hearted pursuits, kind of meandering through life. When we if we wholeheartedly gave to God, we would find infinite joy. That's how God wants you to know Him. So you're waiting for the next thing. Because you're just sure, as, as, as sure as the world, you get that 1977 Chevelle Laguna, at, sure enough, somewhere down the road it will rust. And it's not gonna it's not gonna provide a lasting joy. 
Well, then marriage is going to do it. Right? I just know that when I marry this person, my life is going to be so good. And about seven years later, you say, what in the world happened? Right? Well, you're looking for your joy in a person that is by and large and will most assuredly fail you in some way. Right? It's unrealistic. Oh, how about your job? I'll work, I'll work, I'll make my way. I'll work, 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 I'll work. It makes me happy, makes me happy, and I get the paychecks, and what happens? Yeah, you miss the moments. Got to work late. I'm just telling it the way it Jeremiah would. See, it, it, we, we sell out too easy on things that really are not lasting and don't really even and don't really either even fulfill the, the basic yearning and the longing of our heart. He says, I want you to know that you belong to me and I belong to you. That's a, it's enough. That's what a covenant is. He uses this term covenant. And he's saying, I want you to know that dancing around a golden calf is not going to bring you fulfillment. It may bring you some pleasure in a moment that is momentary, but it's going to bring you a lot of other things down the road that is not going to last and may even bring heartache. And yeah, everybody's going to play the music and beer. There's going to be a fanfire and there's going to be a dance and there's going to be food and there's going to be celebration and there's going to be all, all of that going on and it's going to be for a moment and a moment only. And we say, I'm all in. What if we switched it around and said, okay, it's with God that I'm all in. The passionate pursuit of my heart. Why? Because he's, he's passionately pursuing me in the first place. And that I belong to him. When you, when you say that, just say that with me. I belong to him. When you say that. When you say that I belong to Him, what you're saying is, I belong to Him, and there are some other things that are excluded. Because I have made my commitment to Him. And that's why it's oftentimes, the analogy is used with marriage. Notice here, He said, and they will have a heart to return to me. That's good. Because with God, there's second chances and third. So, a relationship of knowing, belonging, returning. Now, I want you to go to the second one with me. Is that God ingraciously, in, graciously empowers a change of mind and heart. God changes your desires. That's how it changes. Jeremiah 33 31, verse 33 says, But this is a covenant I will make at the house of Israel in those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. In other words, they will have a desire to please me. In other words, if you, have a, if you don't have a desire to want to live for God, then guess what, friend? You may not belong to Him. 
Because a person that longs and that looks for God, that wants God in their life, has a desire to want to live for Him. The reality of a Christian life is that our desires change. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. I'm not, having to, I'm not saying that you, because you're not going to be and you won't be, and there's going to be times that you're going to mess up big time and royally and all that. But do you have a desire? Do you have a desire to live for God? And you know, only you can answer that question. You know, if sin bothers you, praise God. It means you belong to, to God. If you can live, if you can live out, if you can live in your mind and not have any any concept of God or any care for God or the things of God, and it doesn't bother you, then a, there's a good evidence that you don't know Him. That's just the facts, because God deals with the level of the heart. Now, that's not me being judgmental. I can't judge anyone's heart. I have a hard time judging my own at times. Now, I've got me to deal with. You got you to deal with. But the reality is, is I, will put my, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it in their hearts. And notice here, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the covenant. I am their God, they're my people. So what we see here is this. We, the things that are new is that there is a new covenant. There is a new spirit that is at work within us through the Holy Spirit. And there is a new covenant with God, a new desire for God. And a new pursuit of God in our lives. Those three things are a part of the reality of this new walk in the Lord. A new covenant. Didn't Jesus say it at the, at the communion? He said, you know, at the, the bread and the, the cup. He said, this, I'm breaking this. This is a reminder of a new covenant. Who made it for us? Jesus. Who was the covenant keeper, by the way. He knew that he was coming for covenant breakers. Me. You. Now, our hearts are drawn easily away from idols, toward idols. Our, our hearts are just easily drawn to it. We, we give in too easily to the things of this world because it's just, they're just there. They're convenient. Everybody's doing it. And you get folks patting you on the back with it. And, and it's just easy. He says there's a covenant with God. And there's an exclusivity in that covenant. And the exclusivity in that covenant is this, that I shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you're my God. I belong to you. You belong to me. One of the great things. And I, I had to pinch myself the day me and Teresa got married. It was like, uh, it, was, it was awesome. I remember as those, the, uh, the back doors of that chapel opened up and she, the bride, walked through the door and walked down the aisle. And I, I remember it was like, man, this is not real. This is, this, I mean, it's like, whoa. But you know what was said that day in the vows? There was, what was said in that day in those vows was something to this effect. I take you, you take me. Yes, I belong to you, you belong to me. There is this husband and wife and, and it's a covenant. And what was said, what was not said, well, what was said, it was said. What was said was is that there would be an exclusivity in the covenant. I belong to her, she belongs to me. Not in an ownership kind of sense, but in a sense that we belong to each other. Where there's real love, there's exclusivity. 
And it's true. When there's, where, there's, where there's an aspect of biblical love, there's the aspect of saying, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm married to you, but I want to keep all my other options open. No, that's not a marriage. No, right? There's exclusivity. What I'm, at, what I'm saying is this on a spiritual level. What God desires is that he has all of you. He knows you're not perfect. You, you don't surprise him in any fashion. You don't surprise him. But do you have a desire for him? He says, I'm going to write this in your hearts. And what I would say, what I would say to you is, yeah, you got me, Greg. You got it pegged. It's pegged. And that is, I have, I'm in a covenant with God. And I have found myself just pulled my desires and my pursuits. And what happens is, is what pulls on, tugs on your desires, pulls you away in your pursuits. We just kind of get lax on God. We get kind of autopilot in our spiritual life. We don't get intentional. We just kind of half-heartedly go at the spiritual life. And I'm just saying, what if that changed? What if that changed in our lives where we actually pursued God with our whole heart? We, and I think what would happen is, is that you begin to recognize Him in the moment. You'd begin to say, yeah, my idol or the thing that I'm looking for is not the, the, the when, I can't wait when, but I can't wait to see God this day because He's with me. Because my life is new. There's some great scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Says there is therefore, if any man is in Christ, that's the covenant maker, Jesus. He's a new creature. He's a new creature. Old things, notice this, old things have done what? Passed away. Failures, regrets, forgiveness, or unforgiveness, bitterness. Old things, the old sin, the, the old things that the old things that, that you deal with, the struggles. In other words, there's 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 a new there's a new king on the throne. New things have come. And it's now. When Jeremiah said this, Jeremiah was saying, Behold, the day is coming, and I'm saying today on the backside of Jeremiah, the day's here. It is today. It's the time that Jeremiah was talking about. In the fullness of time. That Jesus would come. In Galatians, Paul says it this way. He says, in that, he says, even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, when Jesus had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. God says, I want to make you my son and my daughter. That's cool. I want you to belong to me and me belong to you. In other words, not only do you belong to me, but I belong to you. And I get this. Who is it you do, that you belong to? You belong to the all-knowing, all-wise, omnipotent, all-powerful God who knows you inside and out and from beginning to end and is committed to loving you with all of His heart. That's how he loves you. Just like the way that you parents love your children and your grandchildren, by the way. Yeah. 
Yeah, they did a little wrong there. <laughs> right? That's how you... Yeah, but they're still my what? Huh? Still my child. And because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out the Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son or daughter. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God says, you just don't know what I've got in store for you. You're in the will. In the inheritance. And not only, I mean, you talk about something to look forward to. Oh, what a day that will be. Yeah, God's going to open up the treasure chest. And you're going, and it's going, you're going to find out, wait a minute, I don't need a treasure. I just need Jesus. Right? Don't miss him in the moment. Don't miss him in the struggle. Don't miss him in the yearnings and saying, well, it's when. Don't miss him in the joy in the journey. Because he's there with you and he's walking with you. Why? Because he loves you. He desires that kind of relationship. I'm saying don't sell out cheap. Don't sell out for, for things that you know that will ultimately not bring you, not, that not will, will not be God's plan and God's purpose for your life. Don't do it. But he's so pretty, Mommy. He may be so pretty. But does he have a heart for God? Does he have a heart for God? Let me tell you. It's that that will become the foundation. For meaningful relationships in your life. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Call to me. Call to me. I will answer you. Let it sink in. What sustained Jeremiah was that through the tears, he knew that he had a faithful God who loved, who loved him. And he knew that the best plan in his life was one that was calling on his name and finding his words sweet. He said, I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things. I will show you great and mighty things, which you don't even have a clue about. That's my version. You don't even know them. Let's pray. Father, give us that grace and that desire to know you in such a way 
to long for you with all of our heart, to love you with all of our heart, to call on you with all of our heart. And I pray today, Lord Jesus, maybe someone here listening to this today heard, and they're really evaluating whether they have a desire to really want you or not. Maybe they've been teetering on it, of knowing you in an intimate, personal way, that their sins are forgiven. I pray that you'd give them today the reassurance of knowing that their, their inkling of a desire is enough evidence to know that deep down they know what they're hearing is true. They embrace the grace that you've extended and are extending to them to know what it means to have forgiveness of sin and to have new life. I pray that you would give them that grace and give them the will to lean into it. For others here this morning, Lord, they may have found themselves sidetracked in the wilderness. Life can really be difficult at times. Sometimes, Lord, if we're honest, we find ourselves blaming you. We're thankful that you're committed to loving us. Even in our struggles. I pray that today would be a day that uh, the grace of living could be given. And some healing. Lord, sometimes we have to lean really strongly into your mercy and grace. Give us that kind of faith today. Simply to trust. For others may need a turnaround in their life. longing for a change of a situation we struggle so hard in wanting those that we often miss you in them I pray that the calm assurance of just simply knowing that you're the God who's holding our hands day in and day out For them, I pray for the reassurance of your grace and your strength. Help them not become weary in well-doing. For all of us today, we all depend on you. Help us to give you nothing less than ourselves, totally, completely, without reservation. Let me ask you, Every head bowed.
Is there some business that you and God need to do today? He's the covenant-making God. And the altar is a great place to come in a covenant relationship. The altar is a great place to have a covenant renewal. Our hearts are easily swayed. Sometimes we just need a little alignment that calls us back to Himself. Calls us back to that first love. That calls us back into that wonder and that adoration, that thankfulness of who He is. king waits and this is a king like no other king a king who loves you with all of his heart a king who has declared that he wants to be your God and you his child turn to him Turn to Him today. If you didn't come today and you want to pray and receive Christ or you need prayer this morning and you just don't know about coming in front of people, I get it. There'll be some folks here. Myself, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Ed, Daniel, Ryan. Pray with you. God loves you. He really does. Let's stand together. Let's receive the benediction of the Lord. Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. Until that day, you see Him face to face. Can you say amen? Amen. God bless you. Go in the Lord.